Today, uh, in case you weren't here last week, my name is Josh White. I'm a pastor of Door of Hope in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and we began last Sunday considering uh, the role of the Holy Spirit and the meaning of Pentecost. And today, I'm going to take you through another series of passages in regards to the role of the Holy Spirit spoken from the lips of Jesus himself in what is commonly called the Upper Room Discourse uh, in John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and and turn with me to John chapter 14. And we're going to begin in verses 16 through 18. And just to give you a little setup, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the night of his betrayal. And it is in this moment in which Jesus really uh, is overwhelmed by the prospect of the soon coming death his knowledge of what he has come for, uh, the, the focus in which he set his attention upon the, the plans of the Father uh, to give himself as a sacrifice for the brokenness of humanity is all weighing upon his soul. But instead of being focused upon his own fear, upon, uh, upon the fact that just, just a little bit, uh, a little while long, uh, after this, he he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating uh, blood, and even prays the words, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but not, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so Jesus, with a heart that is overwhelmed, still showing us what it looks like to live the Spirit-filled life, puts his needs aside and once again gives his full attention to a group of men that, quite frankly, didn't get it, never really got anything that he said. They believed that he was the Messiah, but even that they were confused about, and they were definitely not prepared for the cross. And in fact, Jesus is telling them that he has to leave and that he's going to experience incredible pain at the hands of the Jews, and, and, and their, their hearts are troubled by this. And so Jesus begins in the Upper Room Discourse, after washing their feet, says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And it is in this point he begins to move forward and gives the most in-depth and intimate teaching found anywhere in the Gospels and honestly anywhere in the Scriptures of God's intention for humanity to be in the most intimate relationship possible with its creator. He begins to open up for them what I would call... uh, practical mysticism. And what I mean by that is that as a mystic, uh, we speak of that, that intangible aspect of our faith in which we believe as Christians that God is with us and within us. And that's that mystical piece that we can't really explain, but we believe it. Um, most of us, uh, hopefully all of us who claim to know Jesus have experienced it. But the practical side is is, is is the part that often gets left out when you attach the word mystic, uh, is the practical side is what a true Christian is to be, is that the mystical intimacy that we have with Jesus is meant to be played out practically as we become conduits for his mission in the world, proclaiming and being a visible reflection of the invisible God whom we love and whom we serve. And so Jesus begins to open up what that's going to look like. For the disciples, and the primary focus of these teachings is the role of the Holy Spirit. 
So beginning in John chapter 14, verses 16 to 18, he says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, I want to begin by just asking the question, what is meant by that word advocate? Now, some of you have different translations, and some of your translations say comforter. Some of you have a translation that says helper. Some of you have a translation that even says teacher. Some may even have a translation that says counselor, because that word in the Greek is the word paraclete, and it means all of those things. Often, Words translated in English, there's something lost in translation because there's no way to take one English word um, and give it all the meaning that the Greek word holds. And so for us, that word uh, paraclete means helper, counselor, comforter, teacher. But what I want us to see it as is primarily as helper because the word in the Greek literally means called to one side. And what we need as Christians, more than anything else, is help. (laughs) We need help. We need help desperately. Because the question for us today, when we consider the role of the Holy Spirit, is not, how do I get a hold of the Holy Spirit that I might use it? But the real issue at stake is, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of us and use us? And the way that he does that is us accepting his help. He's the helper. Now, I want to give you an illustration that I think will will help clarify this for you. Because back in Genesis, in the very beginning of all things, when God created humanity in his image, it says he made male and female in his image. He breathed life into them. And, And we're told that before the woman was made, that there was no what? Helper suitable for the man. No helper. Now, we say that man's best friend is a dog, but that clearly is not true. Because a dog, I have one, he does not help me. He does not help me. On any level does he help me. He is not a suitable helper. He's a friend He's not even a friend. Honestly, all he does is take advantage of our house and leave hair. And I didn't want him, but the wife and the kids did. And for whatever reason, he's attached to me. Um, and, and so this, this idea of the helper, you know, when we think of the marriage union, there's so much that can be learned about the Christian life when the marriage covenant is rightfully considered. Because the woman was not second to the man. She was to be a helper, one to come alongside, not in front of, not behind, but one to come alongside. And this whole week, I have been without my helper, without my wife, Darcy. And it's funny, Henry and I, being without Darcy, it's like I immediately reverted back to just childish behavior. It's like, I just, I'm not a good man when my wife's not around. I don't, I don't take care of myself. We lived on a diet of hamburgers and hot dogs this week. It's like not normal. We talked about the gym. Darcy's like, you, you should need to get Henry to the gym. He's 12. He can go now. You need to exercise better. And, 
Um, and, or not better, you should just exercise. And, and I'm like, we're going to go to the gym every day while we're in California. Well, we talked about it four of the six days. Uh, and, you know, I, I usually go to bed at like 10 or 11 at home and get up around four. We'd stay up till like one in the morning, not doing anything. I slept until eight, two days in a row. What's wrong with me? Um, and I just, I just messy, didn't clean. Don't tell Ted and Brenda because we stayed at their house. But, you know, I procrastinated cleaning their house till yesterday and then they had to spend way too much time. Picking. My son, the ultimate shows the absolute necessity of my wife's help. I mean, without his mama, I mean, that kid, I think he would die like in a week. Uh, I mean, I don't think he put a single dish in the dishwasher. I'm like, hey, buddy, did you notice where the dishes went? He's like, no, that's because I put them away for you. But this, this idea of the helper, I, I think of when we talk about the role of the Holy Spirit, it's very helpful to have this illustration because I don't know how it works, but when my wife is with me, I'm better. I'm better. I'm smarter. I think more clearly because she is there to help me. She fills in all of my gaps. And, it's, and, and what's weird is I don't know why that's that way. I can't really explain it. Tim Mackey, the other teaching pastor at Door of Hope, gave this illustration first. And I was just like, that's so brilliant because we can't really explain why it works that way. Like, I don't know why I'm more responsible when my wife's around. Maybe because I'm afraid of her. Um, but, but I don't think that's it. Uh, I, just, I just, I want to be better when she's beside me. And I think that for many of us, we miss that God's design for us as Christians is not simply that we put our faith in Jesus and the work that he did 2,000 years ago and that when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, you know, that, that that work is something that has to do with the past and, you know, but God is distant and detached. He's holy and he's apart from, from us and our experience. And so I put my faith in Jesus, but then I continue to live as I want. I live to my own devices. No, that's not the reality, I mean, we seem to understand that we needed help in regards to being saved, but do we recognize that we need help every day? That we don't get to choose the aspects of what we want from Jesus and, and then reject and ignore the other parts. Because I can tell you right now that every marriage that I have ever counseled that is in crisis is because, is because there is a rejection of surrender, there's a, there is an initial surrender that got them to the altar to say, I do. But then there's this independence that creeps into the relationship. And the husband and the wife, they begin living their own lives. And, and before you know it, they're sitting in my office. And I'm counseling them and trying to prevent that which God hates, which is divorce. Because they've lost their connection because they, they stop seeing their need for one another. Husband stopped seeing his need for his wife's help. And, and the wife didn't sign up to just simply be the husband's maid. You know, Neil Young was, was wrong when he sang that song, What a Man Needs is a Maid. Um, it's a great song, but he's wrong. And, and, and this is the thing. Is the Holy Spirit isn't here to be our, our maid. He's here to be our helper. And we can't ignore him. And you see, we're not called to live independent lives. In fact, we were not intended as individuals for independence. It's the great lie of our 
country, actually, is that we have the right to pursue happiness and freedom, but we are the least free people probably in the world because we have chosen to declare for ourselves a declaration of independence, but that has no place in the Christian life. Jesus was not an American. He wasn't a Republican or a Democrat. What Jesus calls us to is something totally different. He calls us to a dictatorship, actually, in which we cast ourselves in total dependence upon him. But the beautiful thing about Christ's leadership is that it is when we cast ourselves in dependence that he sets us free. Our enslavement comes from our desire to keep ourselves free and autonomous from everything and everyone, which is why we have become what David Foster Wallace, my favorite American author in the last 50 years, who tragically committed suicide in 2007, said, is a peculiar American loneliness. Spirit wants to set us free from that. But in order for him to do that, he's, he's got to help us. And so what Jesus says here is he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So what is he saying? He's saying that up to that point, who has been their helper? It's not a trick question. He has. To say that he's going to send another helper is that he's basically saying, I'm going to send another one who's just like me. In fact, he said, it's good that I go away because if I did not depart, the helper, the Holy Spirit, would not come to you. That he literally is saying, we're better off without Jesus because I'm going to give you my spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is essentially the spirit of Jesus because he's constantly pointing us to Jesus. And we cannot forget that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit may be three distinct personalities, but they are one God. It's what we call Trinitarian theology. We cannot fully comprehend it, but we believe it fully. And that distinction has a vanishing element in it in these teachings because Jesus at one moment is talking about the Father, and then he said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me, and then the next moment he's saying, it's good that I go away because when I go away, I'll pray to the Father, and, the, and, and I and the Father will send another helper, the Holy Spirit, and then he says, I will not leave you. I will come back to you. I will not leave you as orphans. But I think the more important piece of this is not to confuse you like, okay, is it the Holy Spirit that's with me or is it Jesus that's with me or is it the Father that's with me? It's all three of them who are with you, but the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit proceeds, as our Nicene Creed says, from the Father and the Son. And he comes to dwell within us and he comes to help us. And the the thing is, is that Jesus wouldn't say, I would send you another helper unless we needed what? Help, another not trick question. We need help. And see, the thing is, is that we are so autonomous is that our pride says, I don't need anyone's help. Our world, the spirit of this age, remember what I said, we have to test the spirits because the spirit of this age says, you are to live for yourself. That you can do whatever you set your mind to. You can make your dreams come true. All of our films, the philosophy of the age is driven by a self-centeredness which has led to more despair than we can even begin to fathom. You do not think, therefore you, you are. What does Descartes say? I think, therefore I am. You are, therefore I am. We were made for relationship. We were called, as Paul says in in Ephesians chapter 5, 
to submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord. We need help. We need the help of God himself. We need the help of one another. We are intended to be relational beings and we are not called to live as if we're the only ones who exist. When you are the center of your own universe, your universe becomes terribly small. And God wants to expand that vision. And he does it by giving you some help. We are called to live in dependence. Notice the Spirit is a gift from the Father. I will ask the Father and he will give you. It's a gift, which means the gift as a, as a helper, the, the gift of the Spirit um, who comes as our helper is that a gift must be freely received. What do you do to receive a gift? Nothing. You just take a hold of it. And I think that we forget, just as God spoke to Moses, in, the, in what pleased God about Moses wasn't anything that Moses did. In fact, Moses was afraid. He didn't want to be used by God. When God said he was going to speak through Moses, Moses rejected that. I mean, there were all these things that Moses continually did that were really silly and stupid. And yet God tells Moses, I am pleased with you. In Exodus, he says, I am pleased with you. And have I, shown, have I talked face-to-face to face with anyone else? No. And what was he pleased with Moses about? That Moses simply looked to him. That Moses looked up and saw he needed God. And Moses even said, what pleased God was what Moses asked for. God, if you are, if you are truly with us, do not leave us because we can't survive without you. Notice the absolute declaration of dependence. And he says, if I have found favor in your eyes. What has he done that's, that's brought favor? Nothing other than he looked to God and trusted him. And he says, if I have found favor in your eyes, he goes, show me your glory. In other words, help me. Don't, don't leave us. We're, we're, we're a useless people without you. And I think that what God is looking for us, from us right now as his church, is a, is a spirit of humble surrender and a willingness to say, I need help. My wife and I go in for little spiritual checkups from my mentor, Gary Brashears, who's the head of the theology department at Western Seminary. And Gary is just a brilliant man and a, a wonderful counselor and a we call him the Bishop of Portland because he, he cares for so many pastors in the area. And Darcy and I were, were in there, and I'm an intense personality, and I'm not easy to live with, and I, um, and, and I can forget. I can forget my need for others. I, I tend to be a trailblazer, and, and I want to burn my own path, and I'm free-spirited, and I'm extremely independent, and this is why the gospel, I have to preach to myself every day. And we're, we're sitting in the office, and it's been a little bit of a rough spell because I'm overwhelmed with work, and I'm not letting Darcy into that. And what does Gary ask me? What did, what did God say to Adam? He said that he could find no helper suitable for him, and the wife was to be a helper. And I'm like, yes. And he goes, so why don't you let your wife help you? I'm like, dang it, Gary. <laughs> All right, you can help. And that's all she wanted. She wasn't, she wasn't asking anything of me other than, Josh, I see you're drowning. Why won't you let me help you? And, and so 
what did that require of me? Is it required that I humble myself and recognize that I couldn't do what I was trying to do without her help. And, and I, I let her help. And so weird. My work got easier. Um, and I think that this is how we are with the Christian life, is how often do we try to live like Jesus apart from Jesus? How often do we try to accomplish in the flesh what God has begun in the spirit? But remember what Paul said to the Galatians in regards to that activity? He says, you stupid Galatians. Why are you trying to perfect in the flesh what God has begun in the spirit? You can't do it. You can't do it. If anyone thinks they can keep the law, they got to keep the law in every area. But the law brings nothing but condemnation. And that is exactly what happens when we try to live the Christian life apart from Christ in you, which is by his Holy Spirit. So we've got to receive it as a gift. The Spirit is another Jesus, which means that the Spirit will continually. How do we know it's, how do we know it's the Holy Spirit? Is that the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus again and again. Don't be weirded out that you don't think about the Holy Spirit more. That is how he intends it. The Holy Spirit is constantly directing our attention back to Christ. The Spirit is a perpetual personal presence. Jesus says, whoever loves me and keeps my commandments, I will love him and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home within them. God's presence is not detached. He doesn't leave you when you fail. In fact, God seems to have the exact opposite tendency than what the church has often declared, which is an absolute untruth, and that is that, when, that God cannot be in the presence of sin. All God does through the entire Bible is get in the presence of sin. What do you think Jesus became on the cross? A sin bearer. What do you think God did when, man, when our first parents fell? Did he turn his back on them? No. He went directly to where they were at in their brokenness. And it said that God was walking in the garden. It wasn't God who was hiding from man. It was mankind who was hiding from him. And this is what we continue to do is we hide because the enemy gets us to believe when we fail that God is angry with us. But God's judgment was dealt with at the cross. And what he, what hurts and grieves his heart is when we refuse to turn to him for help. And I can promise you the moment you're willing to look up and say, spirit, help me, he's there to meet you. That's what God is looking for. What is, it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Pure in heart does not mean perfection. It means single-minded focus. God, I cannot exist without you. Help me. We often hear the phrase, more of the spirit. What we need is more of the Spirit. No. The moment you became regenerated, you got all of the Holy Spirit you will ever get because the Holy Spirit is not power to be wielded but personality to be worshipped. And you got all of the Holy Spirit you'll ever need. You don't need more of the Spirit. The Spirit needs more of you, which means it's a call to surrender. It's the call to, to let him help you. That's what he's calling you to. I want to beat this into your brains. If I'm being redundant or repetitive, it's because we forget. Because we forget to remember. Because we continually leave the work of the Spirit and we begin to white-knuckle our way up Jacob's ladder. And what I see happen again and again is Christians train wreck their, their, their attempts at following Jesus because the Christian life is so hard without him. But it isn't hard when it's done in him. It's, it's, it's difficult in the sense that you are going against 
the stream of the world, but it is a difficulty that is, fa- that, that is met with his rest. And I think that that's an important thing for us to understand. Look, look with me now. This is the Spirit as our helper, and so we've got to let him help us. But look at, at verses 25 to 27, because the Spirit doesn't just come to help us. He comes to actually teach us. He, he's concerned with our progress. He's concerned with our pilgrimage. He's concerned with us reflecting the very reality of Jesus himself. And so Jesus says this of the, of the Holy Spirit in verses 25 to 27. He says, all of this I have spoken with you while still with you, but the advocate, the helper, the counselor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he says, here's the litmus test that the Spirit is teaching you. Here's the litmus test that that the Holy Spirit is the one who is truly helping you, is that Peace is its outcome. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So you think about the the outcome of the Holy Spirit as a teacher is that he says, listen, the Spirit's your teacher and I'm gonna leave you peace. Once again, peace is not something, it's someone. Ephesians chapter two says that Jesus himself is our peace. For he has torn down the middle wall of separation that was between the enmity that was between God and man. That work on the cross is that Jesus came that he might reconcile to the Father all things through himself. And so the Holy Spirit comes into our lives as a helper to help us because we need help. When people say that Christianity is a religion of the weak, we say yes and amen. And you are actually the foolish one to think that you're strong enough to live life without help. Nobody can do it. Nobody can do it. Anyone that was to take an honest look at existence apart from God would come to an absolute, uh, an absolute place of despair. And honestly, some of the greatest writers, the three novels I read this week, Joan Didion, Play It As It Lays, unbelievable look at the despair. I don't recommend the novel. It's extremely dark. Um, But an an unbelievable look at the despair that comes through the giving of ourselves fully to the spirit of this age with no belief in anything beyond it. And it's a woman who ends up in an insane asylum who helps her friend commit suicide. It's It's a terrible look at the realities of Hollywood. Nathaniel West, The Day of the Locust, the other novel that I read, an incredible picture of the underbelly of written during the Depression when Americans thought if they saved up all their money and worked really hard that they could, they could take all of that and move to the, the, the land of dreams where the oranges grew in plenty, Hollywood, only to discover that they did not know how to handle their leisure, so they gave themselves to entertainment and violence instead. And it says the oranges could not satisfy them. And it's still, it's still, I went to Hollywood the other day. It's still, I mean, it just, it's got a weird spirit. I thought Portland has a weird spirit. Hollywood might rival its weirdness. Elvis waved at me, though, which was cool. Um, (laughs) 
And we saw the tree. That's what we, Hollywood Boulevard, it's just like Times Square. What's up with all the people in costumes? It was so weird. <laughs> uh, but I think about this is the way that we give ourselves to these things. The Spirit comes to teach us and to break us free from all these lies that, that, that are, are shaping us and shaping our society. And here is a powerful thing is that what we need is peace because we live in an age of absolute and utter restlessness. We need peace. Because people are afraid and broken. Some of you have come in today and you are anxious today and you have anything but peace because you're living independent and God says, enough, you want to be free, give yourself to me and I'll give you a helper who will never fail you, who will never leave you nor forsake you. But see, the spirit doesn't come just to help, he comes to teach us. And this is the thing I want us to think about today is that the spirit as a teacher let me ask the question about your growth, because I, I found that for myself, I've been a believer now for 13 years, and, and it always shocks me when I meet people that have been Christians their whole lives, and yet they're, they're absolutely ignorant of the things of God. And it's not because they're dumb, it's because they're foolish in how they spend their time. It's because they don't believe that there is anything required of them, there is this this, uh, this cheap grace mentality that, hey, it's a gift, it's free, I took it, it's awesome, now I do what I want. And, and that kind of attitude in the Christian life is actually another gospel, honestly. Because you can never escape in the scriptures the, the balance between God's part and our part. And so for the Holy Spirit to teach us and to bring to remembrance the things that Jesus has said He can't bring to remembrance that which you have not put in your heart and in your mind. It's fascinating to me that in the age in which we live, in which we have sedated ourselves with the ease of learning through entertainment, is that we have become an illiterate culture. Do you know that? That the average American reads at a third grade level. That most people did what I did in school, is that we like claimed ADD for ourselves. Hey, I'm ADD. Listen, the nation is ADD, okay? You're all distracted. You already stopped listening to me 10 minutes ago. It doesn't, you might not even care what I say now because you're daydreaming about what you're going to eat for lunch. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Like anything that takes more than five minutes is just like, sweet Jesus, would you just get on with it? Think about the popularity, the increase of, the, of that app Vine. Have you guys seen that app? It, I, I find that it's an in, extremely uh, intriguing insight into, into the rapid rate in which we want to take in information and how, how short our attention span is. Because Vine is basically six-second video loops. Six seconds. And the attempts with those who are using Vine is to tell a complete story in six seconds because that's really all that we have time for mentally. And so to think about reading a novel, like I was like, uh, the reason I, so I start, started off in this, this, this expedition three years ago because I read this book by Christopher Hedges, um, a, a Pulitzer Prize uh, winning uh, journalist who wrote a book called The Empire of Illusion and he wrote um, a, a chapter called the, the Illusion of Literacy, and it's a scathing look at American culture and the great lie of our society. And this guy's an atheist, and yet he has more, uh, more Christian insight than most Christians I know. 
because he sees the underbelly of American culture and what we are doing to ourselves and giving ourselves so fully to entertainment. And he said, the average American never reads another book after they graduate from college. Something like 70% of all college graduates never read another book. But the problem for us as Christians with that statistic is that God has chosen to reveal himself to us through what? Weird, a really long book too. It's not just, it's not a six second vine clip, people. This is like an 1100 page, thousands of year old document of God's redemptive purposes for human history. And apart from it, we literally can know nothing of Jesus. And yet people, even Christians, are becoming skeptical of their own faith because they're so biblically illiterate that they trust things like the Discovery Channel, the real, in search of the real Jesus. And they have a bunch of pseudo-scholars who are totally whack outsiders who aren't even considered true academics in academic circles, giving you their input about what Jesus might have done. You know, Jesus and his uncle, they took a camel ride to the Far East, and there he was trained by some Buddhists. Like, what? Where exactly? What? Where did that come from? Nowhere. It just came out of this person's imagination because they never actually read the Bible. But see, that's the thing is that the skeptic, the atheist, has to reject the Bible as an authority, because to accept it means that they have to accept what it says about Jesus, which is Jesus said, I am the son of God. And so our authority about who Christ is, and it really is the only world's authority on who Jesus is, is the scripture. The best, the best interpretation of scripture is scripture itself. And so for us as a people, we have to give ourselves to the reading of the scripture. So what did I do after reading Chris Hedges' book? I got freaked out. And I'm like, I just need to read more. I want to give my, I want to train my mind in reading. So I started this, this new process, which has been a really great thing. As I've tried to read in the last year and a half, um, the 100 greatest English novels of the 20th century. And it's like, it's, it's, it's been an incredible discipline. Last year, I read 35 novels. Um, and then, you know, and then I read the Bible several times a year and then try to, and then whatever on top of that with the doctrinal stuff that has to be read. But even reading, reading continuously just helps you become a better reader, but it's a discipline. It's hard when you're distracted. I mean, I have to do things in 15 minute increments. So I just try to do it really, just learn to read fast. Um, but it's like the more I, I've been giving myself, I've just made a discipline. Like I never read a book now in the New Testament without reading the whole book in one sitting. That's been one of my big goals. I mean, today, just for the sake of it, I tried to read all of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians in one sitting. And it was so fruitful. It's just a fruitful. Those are 15-minute books. That's not that much. You can read the New Testament in 16 hours. You probably spend 16 hours in texting in a week. I mean, seriously, think about what you give yourself to in six. What do you do during the week? I mean, there are 24 hours in a day. So technically, you could read the New Testament every day of the week if you were to give yourself to it for 16 hours, (laughs) reading at a slow pace. So I'm not telling you to do that. It'd be cool if you did. I would be impressed. Um, But say you gave yourself to the Bible one hour a day, you would read the New Testament every month, almost twice. But if I was to ask you to show your hands how many of you have actually never read the whole Bible in its entirety ever, 
I actually would, I think we would all be a little alarmed at the amount of people probably sitting in this room or in any church anywhere in the U.S. right now um, who have never even read the Bible in its entirety, and yet you believe in Jesus, and, and we, what we know of Jesus is given to us in the Scripture. So here's the thing. The issue is not the Holy Spirit is a bad teacher, because too many Christians live wasted lives. Too many Christians live wasted lives. And here's the thing with a wasted life as a Christian is that if the issue is the Holy Spirit, if, 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 it's, if it's all due to the fact that the Holy Spirit just isn't a good enough teacher, I, I would say that we have a real problem with who we believe in. But would we not all agree that the real issue is that we're actually really horrible students? Because the Spirit can't teach you what you what you have not first put into your head. He can't illuminate the meaning of a text that you haven't even read. He can't. And so if you're gonna be convicted by anything I say today, this is the only part I'm really calling you to be convicted on because it's something you can change. Because if you're dyslexic and you can't read, there are, some of you are better audio learners than you are readers. Get, a, get the Bible on audio and listen to it. Listen to it. Begin to fill your mind. Figure out a way to get the word into your heart. What did the the psalmist say in Psalm 119? Your word, O Lord, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so we hide the word in our hearts. That's one side because I've also read many academics who actually know the scriptures inside and out, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not born again. And so they become liberal academics and they become critiques of the scripture rather than, rather than learning and coming to a place where they submit themselves to Jesus. We need the two sides. The one side is God gives us freely and that's the gift of the teacher himself. But on our side, we have to actually read, read the book that he gives us. Um, and, and any student of any class in any school, in order for you to really get the most out of the class, you actually have to read the textbook that the teacher is going to teach. But it's the teacher's responsibility to bring that book alive and to bring meaning out of it and to help illuminate what that is. And so God gives us his spirit. So we, what do we do? Here's the two-sided reality for us, is that we have to actually set time every day to get in the word. But if you want to be a spirit-filled, spirit-taught people, it's not enough to just read the book. We've got to come to a place where the spirit is able to bring that book alive. And so when you sit down to read the scripture, pray these words, Holy Spirit, teach me. Point me to Jesus. Because all of the scripture points to Jesus. How do you know that you're growing in Christ's likeness? Is that you don't read the Bible and just discover a bunch of prescriptive, do this and do this and do this and do this. What you discover is that the Bible as a whole is one long love letter of God's redemptive purposes for human history. And that, it, that our story is actually his story and it's going somewhere. And there will be a day when we will give an account for everything we did in the body. Said and thought and did. God will show us how we spent our time. And I want to end my life before my king, and I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, don't you? And so we read the Bible, and we we aren't even called necessarily to understand. We can't understand the scripture apart from the spirit himself. And so I come to the scripture. When I became a believer, I read the Bible. I understood 2% of it. 
But I began to obey the little I understood, and the more I obeyed what I knew to be true, because he is the spirit of truth. And this is the thing about truth. If it's true for me, it's true for you, if it's actually truth. It means it's universally true, if it's actually truth. There is no subjective reality when it comes to truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And to to know a truth, to live a truth, and to love a truth are all the same thing. You have not lived it, nor loved it if you have not known it. You have not known it if you have not lived it and loved it. And so what we do is we take the scripture into our hearts and then we pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate and teach us. And what he's teaching us to do is to be more like Jesus and to bring us into the reality of Christ's very presence that we might reflect him as conduits to a world that needs to hear about Jesus's mission, his love for them. And the outcome of this great reality is that we will experience peace. Listen to John chapter 16. We're going to close here. Verses 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Jesus said, you can't even handle what I've got to say to you because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And so here you have the Spirit comes to direct us to Jesus and to reveal Jesus, he never speaks on his own authority. He only speaks that which Jesus has given to him. And so one of the things that you, when I called you last week to test the spirits, as you come to the scriptures, know this. First of all, there is no new truth. New revelation is not a part of the Christian heritage. We're told in Hebrews chapter one that God has spoke at various times in various ways to the prophets and through the scriptures. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in son. In other words, Jesus Christ is the final word of the Father. He has nothing left to say that he hasn't said and continues to say in the eternal Son. And so the Holy Spirit's teaching you will teach you about Jesus, but he's not going to give you new revelation that nobody else has ever had before. That's what gives birth to cults, my friends. It's not new revelation. It's He brings forth the timelessness of the gospel itself. I love it. Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton said, I am the man who with the utmost daring discovered what had been discovered before. Like them, I tried to be some 10 minutes in advance of the truth, and I found that I was 1,800 years before it or behind it. And I think that that's just a powerful picture is that the Spirit will again and again point us to Christ. He comes to teach us about Jesus and unveil Jesus to us. The revelation is an ever unfolding revelation and we will spend all of eternity discovering more and more what God is like because we will never come to an end of him for he himself is eternal and infinite. And the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of of his presence in our lives is that what the spirit comes to teach us and how do we know we're being taught by the spirit is that as we take the scripture in, what it should be producing in us is more peace, more joy, more love. What it should be producing in us is an ever-increasing faith and a boldness and a courageousness to actually stand in the gap to declare the peace of God which has come in Christ Jesus. This is how we know we're a spirit-filled people. 
too many people get worried about what the gifts of the Spirit are. The Spirit is sovereign. He gifts as he wants to. The first real test for us is to yield ourselves to him and allow him to help us and then let him teach us about Jesus. And then everything else will fall into its proper place. Then you will begin to function in the unique gifts that um, that come through the Spirit's anointing upon our lives. But the Spirit is sovereign, and he wants to do amazing things through this community right here in Temecula. He wants to bring revival in this city. Not by naming a church after it. He wants to bring actual awakening to the reality of Christ's redemptive purposes for this, for this place. And so the question is, is, will you let him help you? And will you let him teach you? He helps you live like Jesus. And he teaches you who Jesus is and how to follow hard after him and how to witness to his reality. And the outcome of that is peace. Peace. What will convince the world that our Jesus is really who he said he is is when the world sees his peace upon us. Do you have that? I kind of threw some mystical stuff at you and some practical stuff at you. But it's when we bring those two things together that we really can begin to live as Christians. You guys, don't undermine your ability to understand the heart of God. Don't say, you don't understand, I'm not very smart, I can't, I don't read well, blah, blah, blah. Hey, if you've been born again, you've been born again. Don't say I was born that way. You've been born again. And God has given you by his spirit all the tools necessary to live victoriously. Don't settle for anything less than more of Christ by his Holy Spirit, who is your helper and your teacher. Let him help you. And be a good student so that he can teach you. Amen?